Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Repenting of My Righteousness, a Jewish Ritual for a Lenten Discipline. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, March the 16th, 2014, the second Sunday in Lent. In Flannery O'Connor's short story, Revelation, the character, Mrs. Turpin, is a good, decent, upright, and proud woman who did everything right, except that she was a racist. She was blinded to this ugly reality by her self-righteousness. She was a person, writes O'Connor, who when she entered heaven, needed even her virtues burned away. Mrs. Turpin has provoked me to try a different Lenten discipline this year, one with the help of a Jewish ritual. Not only to repent of my unrighteous acts and attitudes, but also to repudiate my efforts at righteousness. There's a thin line between true righteousness and self-righteousness, between sanctification that beautifies me and sanctimony that blinds me. The losing battle of self-justification is hard to quit. Our Jewish forebears have an ancient ritual to address this problem. It's called Kol Nidri, in Aramaic, all vowels. The Kol Nidri is a declaration that's recited at the beginning of the service on the evening of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. The service begins with the following prayer. In the tribunal of heaven and the tribunal of earth, by the permission of God, blessed be he, and by the permission of this holy congregation, we hold it lawful to pray with the transgressors. In other words, we take our place among the sinners rather than the saintly. The cantor then chants the prayer that begins with the first two words, kol nidre, meaning all vows. All vows, obligations, oaths, and anathemas, whether konam, konas, or by any other name, which we may vow, or swear, or pledge, or whereby we may be bound, from this day of atonement until the next, whose happy coming we await, we do repent. May they be deemed absolved, forgiven, annulled, and void, and made of no effect. They shall not bind us, nor have power over us. The vows shall be not be reckoned vows. The obligations shall not be obligatory, nor the oaths be oaths. The leader and the congregation respond by quoting Numbers 15, verse 26, 
and it shall be forgiven all the congregation of the children of Israel, and the stranger that sojourns among them, seeing all the people were in ignorance. The idea behind Kol Nidre is that however well intended, we break our promises to God. That shouldn't surprise us. So we need forgiveness for all vows of righteousness. In his book, In God's Shadow, Michael Walzer of Princeton observes that Israel began with two different but related covenants. One with Abraham, based upon kinship, family, and birthright as a chosen people, and another with Moses, based upon a legal covenant, a nation, and law. In the epistle for this week, Paul repudiates both of these foundational appeals for divine favor. Paul once boasted on both accounts. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews who could trace his ancestry to the tribe of Benjamin. And as for the Mosaic law, he said he was zealous and faultless. But Paul later repudiated these vows of righteousness. He says, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss. Counting how many times a word occurs in the Bible can lead to dubious interpretations. But Romans chapter 4 for this week is a glaring exception. At least ten times Paul uses the word credit to describe our relationship with God. A credit is a free gift. It's the opposite of a wage that is paid for work or an obligation that is earned. No one can curry God's favor by keeping the Mosaic law by claiming kinship with Abraham, or by any other well-intentioned vow, including those of Lent. But everyone can receive a free gift, even Gentiles, says Paul, who are not of Abrahamic ancestry and who are ignorant of the Mosaic law. God's free promises come by faith, says Paul, and faith, said Martin Luther, is the beggar's empty hand that can do nothing except receive a gift with gratitude. Similarly, in the Gospel this week, Nicodemus is the consummate religious insider, a member of the ruling Jewish council, and, says Jesus, a teacher of Israel. But Jesus says that if he wants to enter the kingdom of God, he must let this go and leave it behind. He must be twice born, once by his earthly mother through water, and then again by his heavenly father through the Spirit. Only the free gift of God's love and no human effort can do this. So, thank God for the liturgical repudiation of righteousness. In his new book of poetry called Idiot Psalms, 
Scott Cairns ponders the implications of this ancient Jewish ritual. The poem is called Kol Nidre. Listen to the poem by Scott Cairns. Good to reconsider and then to disavow whatever mitigations one has let usurp, eclipse, or glibly water down whatever good he may have thought to offer. Some untoward something will often sprout from any swollen hole thus sown. The unforeseen is guaranteed to flourish well beyond the harried terms of any vow expressed from one's more narrow sense or solitary will. Good, therefore, to have another go at what might prove of use beyond one's dim intention? No. Good, thereafter, to unsay, recant what harm has billowed, subsequent, from ill-considered promise. Good that one prepare ever to repent. Don't get me wrong, Lenten disciplines can serve a positive purpose, especially in our culture of indulgence and entitlement. In past years, I've abstained from meat and alcohol. One Lent, I ate only one meal a day. And all things considered, I think I was better off for those disciplines. I find it a lot harder, though, in our culture of merit to repudiate my vows of righteousness and my many self-justifications. True repentance, says the poet Cairns, is a two-step process. He writes, Repentance is never fit if the turn is nothing but away from one regrettable occasion or singeing grief. Its purpose and sole agency depend in thought and act and word upon the turning to. So, in the spirit of Kol Nidre, this Lent I'll turn away from my vows of righteousness, and I'll turn to God, who promises to credit me with his free gift of love. For books this week, I've reviewed a title called Thank You for Your Service. The author is David Finkel. New York, Farrar, Strauss, and Giraud, 2013, 256 pages. Two million American women and men fought in the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. Most of these people return home to normal lives. But for many others, writes David Finkel, the war endures once they get back home. Studies suggest that 20 to 30 percent have come home with post-traumatic stress disorder. That means that some 500,000 former soldiers back home struggle with depression, anxiety, nightmares, memory problems, personality changes, and suicidal thoughts. Every war has its after-war. For his award-winning book in 2009, The Good Soldiers, 
Finkel was embedded in the 2nd Battalion, 16th Infantry Regiment during the surge of 2007 in Iraq. And now for this book, he's once again embedded with the 216, only this time with the families of soldiers who were fighting PTSD after their deployments have ended. The book is almost pornographic in its vivid descriptions of psychic carnage and what the violence and vulgarity of war do to normal human beings. It made me think of the aphorism of the Yale chaplain William Sloan Coffin, who once said that in war, for every boy turned into a man, there are five human beings turned into animals. Adam, for example, speaks for many of them when he says, I feel completely broken. Tao Solo from the American Samoa must collect 39 signatures when he negotiates a VA program. Nick is in a psychiatric facility for cognitive processing therapy. In Washington, General Peter Chiarelli chairs a senior suicide prevention group. Patty is a soldier family advocate. Fred has helped over a thousand soldiers in his pathway home. We meet not only these soldiers, but also their families as they try to reconstruct some semblance of a normal life. Wives, a widow, friends, family, military people, and competent and compassionate caregivers. These stories about the degradation and savagery of war belie the naive optimism about fairy tale homecomings and the jingoistic rhetoric that glorifies one of humanity's most powerful inhibitions, killing another human being. The soldiers are filled with shame and self-loathing at what they had done and become as human beings. Making things worse was the disconnect back home, where people thanked them for being heroes. At least in Finkel's hands, they have a compassionate truth-teller who helps them tell their stories. The author is David Finkel. The book, Thank You for Your Service. For movies this week, we have a guest review by Megan Clendenin. The movie Catching Fire, The Hunger Games, 2013. Katniss Everdeen, played by Academy Award winner Jennifer Lawrence, is back in The Hunger Games, Catching Fire. Based on Suzanne Collins's best-selling novel series that explores a dystopian future of violence and oppression. In the first Hunger Games movie, Katniss outsmarted the game makers and embarrassed the infamous President Snow by escaping from the bloody arena with her fellow tribute from District 12, Pita. This departure from the traditional Hunger Games, in which a single victor survives and all other tributes are killed, represented a spark of hope among the oppressed districts that were tired of playing by the capital's rules. 
on top of fighting for her own life and protecting her family from snow. Katniss grapples with the unexpected and unwanted responsibility of becoming the symbol of a growing rebellion among the districts. Danger, excitement, tragedy, and romance ensue in this blockbuster sequel. Catching Fire, The Hunger Games. And for poetry, this week we've posted a new poem by Edwina Gately. It's called Just a Little Difference. It's taken from Gately's book, There Was No Path, So I Trod One, published in 1996 and then reissued in 2013. Just a Little Difference by Edwina Gately. Ah, a resting place where we come to understand it is not required of us to wrestle constantly and passionately with our God, nor pursue relentlessly all God's decrees as we understand them, but only that we listen and wonder and hope and pray, that we might perhaps make just a little difference, one quiet gray day. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, March the 16th, 2014, the second Sunday in Lent. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.